back when the MCU first began doing its movies with Iron Man and the Hulk and Captain America and all that. Yep, 2008 to 2012 was the first phase, I believe. Yes, that was what I was going to ask is when did the phase thing develop? Like, I think that it, people really started paying attention around uh, the end of Phase 2 because everyone knew by Phase 3 we were going to be getting the final Avengers film. In mm -hmm. fact, they had only titled them Avengers Part 1 and Avengers Part 2. They weren't titled Infinity War or Endgame yet. Do you think they had an idea that it would become as big as it did? Like, from what phase? From the first one? Like, Probably Kevin Feige or whatever his name is, like, did he know in the back of his mind, this is going to become my the rest of my life? I think after a certain while, especially after the first Avengers came out, and it was such a financial success, I think by then they knew what they had. Okay, so we're now in what phase? We're in phase five. Yes, and that just began with the Ant-Man Quantumania movie, which I watched on my laptop, and I, I, was, I was disappointed because the Loki villain that they introduced was no longer as cool by the end of the Ant-Man movie yep. yes and also the actor who played him was no longer as cool <laughs> um but guardians of the galaxy volume 3 got better press and uh though i wasn't like the biggest fan of that one i did see where it was a better step up from ant-man and now we're here to talk about the new show the first show of phase five and uh, on top of that they said that they were going to limit the shows from the mcu right kind of focus more on the quality of them rather than the quantity that was coming out in, because like, phase of four. superhero fatigue which yes. has been talked about for a long time and it's really a mix of whether or not the movies have become worse or whether the audience has just become bored of the same stuff mm -hmm. yeah but I do have a game for you. It has to do with which phase each movie or TV show came out in. Okay, and, I think I'll be able to get... I yeah. might get one wrong, but I think I'll be able to probably do this pretty spot on. So they'll get harder as they go on, but the point is to kind of show that you are a fan and okay. you are yeah. able to tell like when things came out, right? Yep. So the first one is an easy one. When did the I Am Groot... Like, what phase did that oh, phase series four. come out? Phase four. And why is that? Because it came out before, uh, what was the one that end off phase four? I think the Thor one, right? Maybe. That's or, why you were oh, no, the You know what it was? The end of phase four <laughs> yeah. was actually the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and it came out before that. Mm -hmm. And it came out in like 2022, like last year, right? Okay. If you're, you, you tell me. But anyways, so I was going to say just that the television shows all came out in phase four. Mm -hmm. That's how you knew. Um, Black Panther. Black Panther? The original. Oh, that was Phase 3. Yes, 2018. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 was Phase 2? No, Phase 1. It was Phase 1. Yep, that was sort of a trick question. That was 2010, Phase 1. So both Iron Man's in the first phase. Daredevil. Dare Daredevil? Oh, mm -hmm. the TV series? The Netflix show. Uh, phase two. Not a phase. Remember? Like, they didn't actually incorporate them. It was a Yeah, trick but question. I thought you were saying, like, what yeah. year? Because no, it was I 2015. Right? There's also a trick question because the Daredevil uh, television show is being continued now. Mm -hmm. And so it's part technically part of phase five. It's called Daredevil, Daredevil Born Again. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. Because I think they're bringing back John Bernthal as the Punisher as well. Yeah, don't give away too many spoilers. But the last question is Ant-Man, the first one. When did that come out? Uh, phase... That was the one that end phase two, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you're exactly right. 2015. <laughs> also, it's really interesting. Phase five is going to have Deadpool 3, even though the first two Deadpools weren't part of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Because of the, the Disney merger. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't realize that they could do that, that you could pull in. I guess with Daredevil, they sort of did the same thing, but with the Netflix show, it's never been exactly canon, but Deadpool now will be canon. I saw the Spider-Man films, Spider-Man film, the second, like, across the Spider-Verse. I won't give anything away, but they kind of do something similar there as well, so. All right, heading into this episode, episode one of uh, Secret Invasion, 
It's called Resurrection. It's 50 minutes. It takes place in Moscow, and it stars Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, mm-hmm. right? And the premise is simple. Nick Fury has to stop a shape-shifting group of aliens called the Scroll from taking over the Earth. The right? summary you have is pretty similar to mine. Yeah, Nick Fury recently returned from Saber, joined forces with Maria Hill and Talos in a crucial mission and their objective to thwart the dangerous Scroll leader Gravik, who aims to initiate conflict between Russia and the United States using a powerful bomb. And all but Gravik we've seen before, like those characters we've seen before. Yes. WandaVision was a sitcom. Multiverse of Madness was a horror film. Uh, Spider-Man and Miss Marvel was were both coming of age. Uh, what If was a cartoon. This is a political thriller, which <laughs> which I like. I mean, like it's like 24 a little bit. I enjoyed this way more than I thought I was going to. When I learned that Nick Fury was going to have his own uh, TV series, I was really, really scared because I, th- I think that his like, mysteriousness and his coolness has kind of uh, gone away ever since really like post-Endgame. I guess I've never found his character to be that entertaining. And but... the characters in this tell him the same thing. They're like, you're just not cool anymore, bro. Yes, but here <laughs> it actually like exceeded my expectations. I was really happy with how the, the episode first episode did. turned out. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of Nick Fury not having an eye patch though? That we, it's the first time that we've <laughs> ever seen him without an eye patch, right? That no, was... I think we've seen him before. Because I was literally trying to look up old images to see if they changed how they did the eye. Because it almost looked like it was healing. Like I thought <laughs> at some point this season maybe he'd be like, "Wow, I can I can see." <laughs> But no, I, also in the trailer, you can see that he's also wearing it. So I think it's part of his um, his recovery process uh, of post-blip um, depression, where eventually he's going to come to his own, shave the beard, put on the eye patch, and go fight some crime. But uh, the real uproar, the opening sequence has yes. received. You, so you know about this. No, I didn't know what people thought of it, but I really liked it. The first the 10 green, minutes you're talking no, about. No, I'm talking about the green part, the opening, like the credits. Oh, of. okay. The yeah. actual intro. That's no. received an uproar, a tiny uproar. An, uproar. an uproar. Yes. Why? A lot of articles being written about it. I, I want you to guess first, but first of all, what did you think of it? I mean, I thought that the intro was really cool. It was really colorful. And uh-huh. I thought that, like, especially after the 10-minute intro that we got, which I thought was the, one of the best scenes of the whole entire pilot, yeah. I was really excited for the rest of the series. Well, it was produced by AI. And that's oh. what's gotten the pushback, oh. blowback. No, now that you say that, that does make it worse. Why does it make it worse? Because it's like the, they didn't put the work in. Like, whenever you see an intro, and it's really cool. Like, the editors. Yeah, some people are upset that Marvel didn't spend up to make have creators come in there and make yeah. Creators. But I, but to me, I did put it as a pro before knowing this, and I thought that it still holds up. Like it's it's cool. Yeah, but like they this didn't is the put way the of the future. In. Yes, it's the way of the future. But I think that people like it when they actually put the time into making intro. You can't fight what's coming. It's like back in the day when people had to spend hundreds of dollars, or like a lot of money, to just produce ice. And now we all have refrigerators. Like I understand the criticism, especially with the writer strike going on, that creators should not be limited. But this is something where it's like it's it's going to happen, right? And as long as the quality retains itself, like the whole idea of this show is that there's uh, an infiltrating um, thing. There's a there's an alien force that's come in to take over things. And yeah. that's kind of what AI is doing at, this, at the same time. What did you think of the first 10 minutes, though? Where, okay. Where, yeah. so, so, so they got rid of the Marvel short intro as well. Like mm-hmm. the one that's like 30 seconds. It became 11 seconds. They haven't done that since Doctor Strange yeah, 2016. It's been, a, it's been a while, yeah. Yeah. 
So the first 10 minutes, we got to see Martin Freeman again. We haven't seen him since Wakanda. I didn't even know he was going to be in the show. I don't think anybody did, but he's Agent Ross, and he meets with this guy named Prescott, who is also working for the U.S. But the guy is sort of a conspiracy theorist. He has a whole evidence board. And he he's looks saying, unhinged. His appearance, he's supposed to look crazy. He looks like Charlie Kelly from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> a lot of people pointed that out with a red string and stuff, and he's saying there's a bunch of architects right now out there who are trying to mess with the world and make it worse, and, and these terrorist groups are actually working for the scroll. Right? I liked the uh, when they were talking because it actually gave answers. For example, Nick Fury has been gone for a while. We even saw that Far From Home. He was in that weird planet and we learned what it was called and where he's been for the last couple of years and why we haven't seen him. He's been on the planet Saber. Mm -hmm. and it, it What's kinda... he been doing there? Just hanging out? Yeah, well, don't you remember in Far From Home? He yeah. was like in that weird uh, like isolation chamber where he could like switch worlds and talk to people. Mm -hmm, it looked mm -hmm. really cool. And so I was glad that they kind of established where he had been because I was like, yeah, he's been gone for several years after uh, Endgame. And the first scene we see after the credits roll is him stepping off the spaceship and then he makes his reunion with Talos or Talos and uh, Mariah, right? Mariah Hill, yeah. And then he goes out on a walk in Russia and he gets kidnapped and he immediately gets uh, brought in front of an ambassador, I would assume. That's who Sonia is. Mm -hmm. Olivia Coleman, she and him have a relationship. Nick Fury and Sonia go back a long ways. And Sonia reiterates what everybody tells Nick Fury in this episode, which is, you're a has-been. You're old. You're not yourself anymore. Get out of here. You're not helpful. Olivia Coleman, I think, yeah. is a great actress, but I did not like her character in this because it doesn't seem like she's that interesting of a character. You know they didn't who give her enough, I thought, to work with in that scene. You know who did love her character though? The Guardian, the British, uh, the, the, British. the yeah. Guardian gave yeah. her a good review. Oh, they said that their scenes together were perfect chemistry. Doesn't she only have one scene in this? They got two they episodes. Got, okay. All right. Um. So yeah, he goes and talks to Sonia, and he plants a little bug, or he has a bug that's already planted in her office. He gets uh, kind of some updates about what the scroll is planning. So the scroll is split up between two uh, communities, one which is like waiting on Nick Fury to provide them a new home and for a new planet, and this other like rebellious group that has decided to um, start their own revolution and take over the Earth slowly until they can just wipe out humanity humanity and live life there as scroll right so that was strange for me because in captain marvel mm -hmm. in the first half of that movie you're supposed to believe that the scroll are the villains and then at the like second half you're supposed to realize no they're actually the good guys so i found it a little bit lazy writing that they decided to make the scrolls the villains and then make like a certain sector of them the villains and then make these other people good it's like i feel like they could have maybe just come up with a better uh, system or better villain or something like that rather than and just kind of retread the same ground that they already did in Captain Marvel. Okay. I'm going to jump over to one of my cons for a second because it goes along with your point there. So I really like the premise to this show, the idea that the scroll have infiltrated the planet, but instead of declaring war, they are dubiously like fueling tensions between human governments and inciting violence and discontent, similar to stuff that happens in reality, right? Mm -hmm. But similar themes have been tackled in other like various sci-fi shows. More than one person has pointed out how similar this is to the Red Hand and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or how it is um, very similar to Hydra and just the yeah. idea of it being an incubating um, evil force. I compared it to shows like Humans, Planet of the or movies and shows like Humans, Planet of the Apes, Peacemaker with the butterflies, even the X Men franchise where the mutants decided that they want to wipe out humanity and make everybody a mutant. Mm -hmm. Like it even just, Guardians of the Galaxy three yeah. had that same type of premise. So it does feel very similar to other things that have been done before and that can go wrong if it's 
if they're just doing like the same plot points for everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. All right. So, but getting back to the show, Agent Ross turns out not to be Agent Ross. He ends up being one of the evil scrolls, right? Uh-huh. So by the time that T- Talos and uh, Mariah are talking to Fury, they've informed him of this and they work on leads to try to figure out what the next terrorist attack is going to be. And that leads them to finding out that they're setting up bombs in Moscow for at one of their like central squares. Mm-hmm. A very yeah. populous place. One, one, one place that I can't pronounce the name of, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but did you recognize the main villain um, uh, scroll? No. Okay, uh, what's his name? Gravik or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Gravik. Yeah, Kingsley Ben-Air. He's from Peaky Blinders, so I expected you to recognize him. He might have been someone from season six. Maybe. Maybe. He's also in the OA. But uh, yeah, so he reveals himself to Fury at the very end, and then he kills... Sorry, uh, well, I just want to point out yeah. that uh, Gravik's plan reminded me a lot of Black Mirror, the season six finale... Because, like, he's trying to use this bomb to make Russia and the United States, again, fight each other. And in the Black Mirror finale, that also deals with two different countries using nukes on each other, possibly causing the world to cease. I don't know if they want nuclear war. I do know that radiation doesn't affect them. They've evolved. The uh, scroll have evolved. So maybe they think, okay, if everybody blows themselves up with radiation, we'll be fine. But that would also kill off the planet. And it's, like, resources, right? So I don't know if that's what they're going for, if they're just going for... Uh, I, I honestly don't know what the end game is. What it, I didn't like about Garrick's character is that he seemed like he was just trying to fuck with Nick Fury the entire time. Like we learn at the end of the episode when he kills, and I will ruin it at this point, Mariah, right? Yeah. And what did you think of that? I thought that that actually worked really well because Mariah Hill, this episode was my favorite character. And when she died, I thought that her final words were really sad. She, because again, it was Gravik. He turned into Nick Fury, shot her because he, she, thought that he was walking up to him he goes away and then the actual nick fury runs up to her and she says something along the lines of like uh, it, was it was you yeah. yeah but you'd think that she'd be able to put two and two together even in that state like she's seen this happen enough times. i know i think that the it was you was more trying to tell him that that's what happened that's how she died graphic used her mm-hmm. use his image okay yeah maybe maybe that was it but graphic as a villain though he's supposed to be the leader of the cause to wipe out all of humanity and yet he he spends this entire episode, days upon days, of how Nick Fury is like looking for leads and stuff, following Nick Fury to the point where he has memorized the faces of the people that Nick Fury has passed in Russia, so that he can just like, um, what, what would you call it, brag about them as he's like walking past Fury and and showing up as the girl with the ball or the barfly or the girl that was making out with the other. Either that. Or he was those people originally, which would be even more insane because that means that he spends his time just hanging around Nick Fury for the last few days, screwing with him, (laughs) not killing him like he could have, and and just messing with the dude. It made no sense to me, but people were giving them credit. They were like, oh, look at all the people that he was. And I was just like, what kind of leader does this? How is this effective to your endgame? And then, yeah, with the bombs that eventually go off in Russia and are going to obviously lead to international tensions, I find it really hard to believe that a couple street bombs would significantly alter a world that has already survived major events like the blip, alien, Avengers, supervillain attacks. They must already have a body count somewhere in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people that have already died. Why would this matter that much? Why would this tiny terrorist... Like, I get that they're doing a bunch of them, but why this specific one would even cause... I get it's on Unity Day, and Unity Day is supposed to be a holiday in Russia that's celebrating, like, peace and divinity and all, and people getting together and You're stuff. saying it could break the it's suspension just, and disbelief that something this They're treating small... it like it's this world. 
like it's like we're still in in whatever Earth we're in right now, mm-hmm. which doesn't have superheroes. So but what like they built, happened, but what they dealt with in the Marvel world, you're saying, is so much bigger than this threat so far. Yeah, and also like Nick Fury has all the contacts in the world. If he thinks that this is a major threat, why didn't he just call an Avenger? Now you can make that argument for other Marvel series as well. And that was that was the argument that everyone was making, uh, like around Phase Two of Marvel. Yeah, but when you learn that the comic books actually had more crossovers from superheroes in this storyline than they did in Avengers Endgame, it kind of does lead you to wonder why they kept it to such a small really? cast. Really? That, that many in Secret Invasion? Yes, but they've decided to re-trigger it more towards just Samuel Jackson's acting and Ben Mendelsohn, who, who are great actors, but it does kind of kill off some of the coolness of it. As much as I did like Mariah Hill's death, because mm-hmm. I thought that worked, I, there was something about the trio. Fury... Uh, Hill and Talos that kind of made it, I don't know, more of a team and I like the, uh, their interactions with one another. Well, now, now with... it's just going to be Amelia Clark who's taking that spot. Uh, Gaia. Right? Yeah, but I don't know if Gaia has like the same type of like ability. The thing that they try to do in this episode is they do try and make Gaia and even uh, Gravik to some point, they give them the society for the Kroll to use. But uh, and they tried to make it seem like they're really trying to help the Kroll and everything. But then that's they... why it reminded me of humans so much because the robots, humans would hate them and there would they wouldn't be able to survive in normal communities, the ones that were sentient. Mm-hmm. And so they formed their own little community that was just innocent and doing its own thing. But you had this tiny little sect of like rebellious ones that were trying to also kill out humanity. But that's that's yeah. part of the problem because it's like even within this sector that has villainous Kroll, you're still trying to make likable characters from them. Gaia is supposed I... to be a character that I'm sure by the end of these six episodes is going to change sides because I think I think she already did like at first I I watched it the wrong way and I thought oh she took advantage of Talos's trusting nature and her father's trusting nature and she lied to him about the marking the right ones because those were decoys his father being Nick Fury no, what? Wait, what? Talos. Talos. Ben Mendelsohn. Sorry. That's, <laughs> yes, because Ben Mendelsohn even said at one point in the episode that her mom had died and asked uh, him to find Gaia. The point is, she actually, I think, was tricked by Gravik as well. I think like it just seemed as if that she had been asking them to delay this bombing. And then when they didn't, they kind of questioned her uh, allegiance. And so they decided to do it a different way. And then that's the way that they were able to kill off Mariah. And having Mariah's body there as an American is going to make it very yeah. clear to the Russian authorities that the Americans were involved in some way. And so that's probably just going to increase tension. What did you think of Dermot Mulroney playing the president of the United States? Yeah, that was that was a big surprise to me. Also, for some reason, we have War Machine, James Rhodes, in Don this episode Cheadle. as well. That, that felt like the most throning scene. Well, people were saying him. that, once again, Don Cheadle uh, should deserve an Emmy. Because he's won so many, it just tends like sometimes he just gets them because of like, well, it's like a Meryl Streep effect. You know, if she just appears in a movie now, she gets an award for it. But I mean, uh, the one thing I did like was that they brought back so many characters that we didn't see because James Rhodes, we haven't seen for a while either. Right. James Rhodes? Yeah, War Machine. Oh, yeah. Again, again, Rhodey, yeah. War Machine. He's just not Terrence Howard. As long as it's not Terrence Howard, that's, that's cool. He was only there for a few seconds. His name, I didn't even pay attention. Was it in the credits? Uh, yeah, I think so. So he's going to be there more often. I, I did notice there, that yeah. Kobe Smulders wasn't originally. Well, if you actually wait for the credits, they say special no, guest stars. I, no, I mean, like, she wasn't in the opening. So that could have given away mm. that she wasn't in. That she wasn't going to continue in the show. Um, I think we'll probably see her once more, maybe, in, like, a dream sequence Possibly. Or the, the, the reason why it was so shocking to me is that uh, Mariah Hill has shown up in other Marvel films, even Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.s, that show that premiered back in, like, 2015, or mm-hmm. the ABC Not show. Not necessarily 
Kelly Cannon. Yeah, yeah, whenever it was. She was even appearing in shows like that. So, But that, that show dealt with Coulson, right? Like, yes. he was the main guy. And his death felt a lot similar to hers. As her death also felt very similar to Sif from Thor, where it was kind of used as a device and somewhat of an afterthought because really her dying in this episode doesn't achieve much, right? Well, like, they, I, I understand I that it, it, it leaves you with a sense of like, oh man, what comes next in the series? But if you look at it, I think by the end of this uh, season, I wonder if you're really going to see it as a necessary death. I think it just raises the stakes. Yeah. In the same way where I wasn't sure, and I, I, I was way less sure about this, but when Evan Ross like dies in that, I wasn't Everett sure. Ross. I wasn't sure if they were trying to say that Martin Freeman this whole entire time had been no. a girl. Cool. He's Wait, just yeah. in Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just hanging out in Wakanda. But that's one of those things where it's like, how long has Everett Ross been a Kroll for? I thought that it, it introduced scroll. questions that I was wondering. Yeah, Scroll yes. for. Yeah. yeah, I think Krolls are the names of the Star Trek villains, right? Or something like that. The other area I saw this episode sort of dragging in was the f- amount of scenes that we got of Nick Fury being told that he was past his prime. I, I will agree with you, but uh-huh. I did like Mariah Hill and his interaction the chess at game? the bar. The chess game. I was waiting for him to make a move, though. And instead, he didn't. <laughs> well, and again, it seemed like he was... that led to her final, her final line where she yeah, was, she was like, like, you're someone's three get... moves ahead of... Uh, or the, you used the, to be. But yeah, then she bit. said, Some, someone's going to get hurt if you're not like on top of it. And then she ends up dying. Yeah, I, I got the connection. I just didn't find it as fascinating as some people. Uh, Amelia Clark, I did find it funny that she's the 11th Game of Thrones actor to actually come on to the MCU. <laughs> And so, altogether, they have a pretty nice, rounded cast. Olivia Holden, Ben Mendelsohn, Amelia Clark, Dermot Mulroney, uh, Don Cheadle, like you said. And so they, they can lose Kobe Smulders. I'm not too worried about that. But it does seem as if they're following familiar tropes. Like, right now, it seems as if Amelia Clark's uh, storyline or Gaia's storyline is very clearly she's going to become a hero. Like, I don't see her becoming the overall villain of the series. Um, and also, again, the main villain upsets me in the amount of time that he wasted on Nick Fury's character in this episode. I mean, so the thing is, when you compare this to other Marvel pilots, yes. such as, like, Moon Knight, What If, hmm. Hawkeye, or even some of the Netflix Marvel shows that were coming out that weren't canon, kind of like you were talking about, and you can, like, accuse me of granting this on a curve, yeah. but I think that it was a lot better than those pilots, because at least here, I understood what the show is, like, going for. But with the exception of What If, where we were promised this idea of like any number of scenarios and they ended up kind of going with very cliche ones mm-hmm. um, and, and, and in a cartoon form where they didn't get the actors back. With the exception of that disappointment, I find this disappointing because I thought it was going to be sort of like Loki, as good as that. Because of how, <laughs> how it's taking from one of the like biggest comic book versions of the Marvel thing that they've ever done. And I thought maybe with Samuel L. Jackson, and we do get like a really cool moment of him when he's um, uh, when they're talking to the art dealer, right? And they kind of do a Pulp Fiction thing. Yes, <laughs> that, that was cool. But like overall, it just didn't feel like the plot itself made as much sense. Like it wasn't as concrete as it could have been. Um, it, it has a seven point eight on IMDb right now. What would you give it? I'm going to go actually kind of high with it because I didn't have that many problems with it. I enjoyed it. I will give it an eight out of ten. Hmm. I will give it a. Six out of ten. So it does pass. No, I'll give it a five out of ten. Actually, it doesn't pass. I'm not. I'm not like super into watching it. You were just looking for, I think, more in this episode. The New York Times said it best. I think they said Secret Invasion carries a strong sense of business being done, uh, as items being checked off a list, a product line being tended to, rather than an original story being told. 
I really like the premise. It just felt a little sluggish, and I just don't see why he wouldn't call an Avenger or why Kobe Smolders had to die in this episode or the, really why the villain had to be messing with him for the 15th time. I know I've said that a lot. I did find it funny that we've seen a ton of movies where they've traversed multiverses, they've traveled through different times and dimensions, yet when it comes to the trivial matter of finding a solitary planet for these green fellows <laughs> who are just your allies for the longest time, that that project suddenly becomes like super sluggish, a bureaucratic process where it's just stalled up and and it never gets done. It's like in, um, what is the industry term? Uh, development hell. And so until the scroll like uh, break out and they get really mad about it, you know? Like that, it's almost like the scroll has been stuck in the DMV and now they're just so frustrated they're with so mad that they're, that they're to turning to, to kill people. <laughs> but they're not actually killing people. They're just putting them into those like weird um, homeost or in those stasis modes, you know? Like where they're like pushing them. Yeah, their... where they basically almost like fall Which I don't know. If, are they doing that because they're on Disney and they just can't show the scroll in, indiscriminately killing people? Because Probably, yeah. The thing is, they're still near a nuclear power plant. Like, that's where they're hanging out right now is a bunch of Russian places of broken down power That plants. actually, so that and part, so, because yeah. they uh, because they show quickly this person named Beto, who is a scroll. He he shows up to this place where they're kind of keeping a ton of different scrolls. That place, because it was guarded yeah. with a chain link fence, reminded me of The Last of Us. It doesn't end as tragically as the pilot episode did with that kid who found kind of the safe haven. Hmm. But the way in which it was laid out and kind of decrepit, uh, around that power plant uh, place, I thought that that did uh, kind of look cool. Did it remind you at all of Mr. Robot or Condor? No. What? Condor, because it's got the same director as the episode you watched, season two, episode four, back in the day. Mm. And Kyle uh, Broadsheet worked as, uh, I think, one of the writers and producers of Mr. Robot. And he's the guy who's show running this or created this. I, You know what? Actually, Mr. Robot a little bit, because Mr. Robot did deal with international threats. But that was, that was more like online kind of cyber threats. All right. So this is one of those ones where you'll continue watching the show and then you'll tell me about it. Sound good? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye. Bye.